0: Hello and welcome to Warwick Business School's Core Insights Podcast with me, Audrey Diaz. Today's topic I'm sure is on the minds of most business leaders, and that is the post-COVID economic recovery, both globally and here in the UK. Now, my guests are Anna Galba, Professor of Economic Modelling and Forecasting at Warwick Business School, and Paul Fisher, who is a former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee and a visiting professor at the Business School. Thank you both for joining us. So, Anna, if I can start with you. um, At the end of last year, you wrote a paper which said that figuring out when the UK economy would be back to its pre-crisis levels was grotesquely difficult. Now, is that still the
1: case or has the picture got any clearer? Economic forecasting uh, normally is done based on on how things have happened in the past and how we can use that to project in the future. So one of the main, the main difficulties in trying to predict the recovery effects on GDP growth is is to find any regularity in the data. So uh, what happened in 2020 when the the COVID recession started? is that most of the models we used to use for forecasting based on, on past data, they just couldn't cope because they didn't have enough information in the data to try to figure out the impact of, of the recession. Now, when you try to move out of the recessions, the models have similar kind of difficulties and additional difficulty, which is the fact that if you look at the data from last year, from March, April, May last year, is completely unusual. So it's completely different from what happened from the last 200 years, which means that some of these models fail because the data is quite different from what it have before. Uh, another issue as well, that the models find difficulties in, in grasp what's going on with the economy is issues with the fact that normally when you forecast, you want to have a notion about how uncertain you are about the future. And, and if you try to treat this data as some kind of outlier data, that means that that they have no impact on the uncertainty we have about the future. And this is a very difficult statement to do. So what happened was that the the people that used to use loads of statistical models tried to adapt the models as much as possible. And actually experts that did forecasts using their own judgment by basically, you know, looking at additional source of data, they, they did much better. So they're being a big developer now in looking at different data sources, different measures of activities that we didn't use to look at before, such that we can improve our uh, forecast for the recovery. That said, most of the people, when think about in forecasting recovery, if you look at institutions like the IMF, what they have in mind is a bit of how the economic relations work. So they know if the economy normally moves at a potential. So if you went down the potential because of the COVID shock, then normally when you come back, it can come back faster because you can't just use the capacity that hasn't been used before. So in that sense, that's why most of the forecast is actually predicting very strong growth uh, for 2021. It's, it's, it have that in mind. So it's not something based on past historical data, it's just this notion about um, uh, how, how you know, the facts that, that there's loads of extra uh, capacity out there could be uh, replaced. That said, there's of course issues because uh, in some sectors, the recovery is going on and some other sectors that have been still affected uh, by restrictions coming from the pandemic uh, this recovery is lower than others so so my my summary on my research is that I think it was key to to use judgment in forecasting uh, to see the impact of the covid effects on the economy um, is also key to use now for the recovery because some of the models uh, cannot cope with that kind of uh, uh, changes, But at the same time, there have been lots of research in adapting the models to the changes, including um, methods using some very sophisticated machine learning and some ultra-high-frequency uh, new data sets.
0: I mean, do you agree with that, Paul? So do you believe that that picture could now get clearer?
2: Yeah, in some ways, it's um, uh, an interesting question. If you're an individual working in, say, a pub or a shop, You want to know when are things going to get back to the way they were before the crisis? Uh, And at that level, uh, it's a very um, relevant question. If you're looking at it from the point of view of the economy as a whole, I'm not sure that getting back to where we were is the right question to be looking at. Because the structure of the economy has fundamentally changed in in certain aspects. I mean, tourism, I suspect now to be running at a very low level, but it it was 10 percent of the UK economy before the crisis. Uh, and it's not going to recover to being 10% anytime soon. The airline industry uh, is not going to recover to the same levels of activity before, whereas other parts of industry are growing much faster. So we've had this structural break in the economic system, and then comparing the before and after isn't necessarily even a valid thing to do, um, even if it's very relevant for an individual who, who is trying to get back to a normal way of life. But my main comment will be people are very... ingenious and ingenious and, and flexible and tend to find a way and so we've seen people move industries from say entertainment into health or we've seen people that used to be just restaurants serving takeaway food and so I think the economy will find its own way back as quickly as it can because people will be desperate to work and get some income in but we've got what we've got less idea about is what that sort of economy will look like in its structure uh, because of the major shock that's happened.
0: What should banks and central governments been doing to achieve recovery
2: then, Paul? Well, I think the what they were trying to do last year was the right thing, which was to keep businesses going. There were a lot of businesses which were on the brink, um, as they always are, before the crisis struck. They probably had gone. We saw one or two big, well-known failures. But a lot of other businesses would have been quite good, sustainable, long-term businesses that would have had a sudden loss of income. And trying to keep those businesses going um, through the pandemic until demand for their products comes back was the right thing to do. Uh, Now, whether that justifies the particular way that policies such as the furlough scheme or uh, other um, uh, sort of subsidies to businesses whether they were exactly the right things to do or not is another matter but the general thrust of trying to keep businesses going and keep people in employment until um, the pandemic was was fizzling out that was the right, right approach but after that the main thing is to do no harm uh, really and not get in the way of the recovery i think central banks have got very little to do in this sort of situation and um, principally monetary policy works through short-term demand management and You've got to be very careful with that, that we don't simply stoke up uh, potential inflation later down the road um, because the monetary policy stimulus can't really work during the pandemic when, when uh, shops are, uh, are closed or only partially open or um, the factories are working short time. And what we will see is a bit of a rush through from some of those policies at some point. Uh, the central banks really just need to keep care to balance the economy out. But the main thing will be, I think, letting the economy develop back the way it feels it best. So, Anna, what do you think of that?
1: Um, I agree with Paul that that the policies implemented uh, to to fight the the issues of the impact of the pandemic in the economy was to sustain employment, and of course, these are are relevant policies. I also agree with the issue that the impact that COVID have on the economy um, and of Course that that leads might lead some structural changes in the economy with possible long run consequences.
0: And I, I, again, you know, there is no doubt that um, COVID ha- will have had an impact on the economy. But will growth be scarred in the long term by the pandemic?
1: The long term impact of the pandemic will depend, of course, on on. Um, on whether the, the changes we're seeing now in terms of sectors of recovering fast and others uh, generate some kind of structural change in the economy, um, but it might not be the case. So, for example, if you if you move for sectors that are actually more productive, it might be that the things getting better in the future. But what what I agree with Paul is this notion that that the the You know, the initial notion is that the COVID recession will be very short. And as a consequence, the economy could bounce very fast. And as a consequence, we have very limited long-term scurry. But because we're seeing all this evidence that the different sectors have been affected different uh, due to the the restrictions of the pandemic like airlines and hospitality. So it might be that this has long-run consequences. Now, whether that would mean that long-run growth on average will be lower or higher over time, that that bit I I still cannot say because we normally think that long-run growth is related with productivity, right? So it might be that the, the change of weight in the economy across sector make the economy more productive, which means a more growth in the future.
0: Paul, do you believe there are any countries that seem to be coping better than others with the economic challenges of the pandemic?
2: I think it's easier to see the countries that are coping less well. Clearly, if you depend on international trade, if you depend on um, lots of tourism <laughs> and things like that, you're going to suffer uh, more. But it's very difficult to do um, cross-country comparisons at the moment when we don't even know if the COVID statistics are at all comparable across, across countries. I think every country has suffered. The um, UK, being a relatively open economy, is always going to suffer uh, a bit more because of that. Um, but it's, um, uh, I think it will be some time before we can really assess what the effect of, of COVID is. The the structure of the economy will be different. Growth is really determined, as Anna says, by the supply side of the economy. Uh, And for me, things like how we adapt to climate change and make our economies more sustainable is going to be a much bigger feature of our growth rate going forward than the effect of the pandemic. But over the last year, you have seen people reflect a lot on the way our economy is structured. And we could see some permanent changes. So, for example, we could be looking at people sourcing more consumer goods from their own country, from their own localities, rather than having things imported vast distances across uh, country. We could see businesses traveling a lot less and using video technology a lot more. And some of these things will change the way that um, countries operate. And for some, that will be good. For some, that will be bad. And it's very, very difficult at the moment to see exactly how that's going to pan out.
0: Yeah. Okay. so it will be a while before we understand the effects of the pandemic. But, Anna, I mean, here in the UK, there is that deadly mix of the pandemic and Brexit. Do you think that's going to have an impact on economic growth?
1: So, so the impact, uh, the current short-term effect of things like Brexit and COVID is related with with issues like putting pressures on prices, right? So, so some of the of the barriers for trade that came after Brexit have increased the costs of of some um, um, products that are being imported and also some difficulty for exporting, um, and and that tend to put a cost effects on the on the firms in the UK and may put some kind of inflationary pressure. So this is the short run effect. I mean, the long run effect of, of Brexit, of course, is the issues that, that trade can have on, in particularly some sectors of the economy that, that rely a lot on imported goods and, 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 and use a lot of markets outside the UK, because although you know, th- th- there was a trade deal, you know, there is still some known um, uh, tariff barriers that, that are creating additional costs for trading. And, and again, in terms of long-term um, growth for the economy, um, that that kind of competitiveness of the UK economy abroad and and being able to to source uh, imported goods is normally important for for, for the economy. So so the Brexit um, can still have uh, you know some negative effects in that sense because of these kind of barriers. At the same time, as we discussed discussing earlier, we're being quite optimistic with this notion that that my uh, you know, which is the change across the different sectors in the economy, and maybe re-weight in these sectors. And as Paul was saying, it might be that that would lead um, um, support for growth in some areas that before were not there in, in the UK economy.
0: So what do you think of that, Paul, uh, the pandemic and Brexit, a deadly mix for the UK?
2: I think the main impact of Brexit so far was to bring forward a big fall in the exchange rate. Um, which was probably necessary given the UK's net trade position. But it it basically makes the UK worse off in the short run because imports are more expensive, and that includes things like foreign holidays. That's an imported good in the UK, whereas it makes our goods cheaper. Now, we might have hoped over time that that fall in the the exchange rate would lead to more exports abroad. And I think the effect of the pandemic limiting international trade Uh, may mean that we don't see that bounce back in international trade any time soon. But it's quite complicated. I mean, if you take the EU famously, um, they used to export more to us than we did to them. So we're yet to see what the trade effects um, come out. But we're certainly not going to get as quickly any of the benefits on trade with the rest of the world that some people would have expected to have seen uh, from Brexit. I mean, they were always contentious. Uh, but it's going to be a lot harder to see them come through now.
0: Anna, I know we've you've said it time and time again, and so have you, Paul, that we can't really predict what is going to happen in the future. But what can be done now? What do you believe are the factors that could help influence a steady economic growth? Um, Anna, if you can start?
1: Our issue now is that we've been like for one or two years of very loose monetary policy uh, all over the, the advanced economies, and and now this the pressure was talking before about um, uh, pressure on inflation is something also related to the very large increase in oil prices is being spread around in, in the UK, area, and the United States. Now most of the central bankers are still, you know. Letting the monetary policy being loose. But one of the main concerns is when they, they start putting maybe interest rates up and which kind of impact that would have in terms of constraining for the recovery and also which kind of spillover that would have uh, to other countries in the world. And and that might be a bit problematic. So the the, the timing of, of the shifts in the monetary policy regime, I think it is a crucial uh, point here, and it's going to be very hard to balance. Other thing that's probably going to be very hard to balance is that, of course, what the support measures done, uh, like the furlough schemes and all the schemes done in the advanced economy to support uh, jobs or very costly, which means that the governments are run very large uh, public deficits. And the question is, you know, this somehow in the long run has to be rebalanced. Um, so the question is, when you're going to start rebalancing and get the right in timing to not um, scare too much of the recovery. So in, in theory, we should expect. You know, of course, without this sector adjustment, that that you know, since there is lots of capacity in the economy, the recovery could be really very fast, and you, and you potentially could go back as soon as these these um, issues, uh, the, the 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 you know the the, the policies of lockdown and constraint of movement are removed. But but at the same time, uh, you know, it, it is very hard for 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 policymakers to judge when we move out. the support. Being giving uh, during this period. What about you, Paul? What do you think?
2: The the real issue here is not to get too hung up on the short term. I think um, we have seen something more reflection on what does a sustainable economy look like, uh, and I think we should think about that more going forward, and uh, not worry too much about the short term path of the, the economy. Um, we do need to um, continue with the policies towards um, transition to net zero carbon emissions. That's probably the most important thing for the UK. Uh, now we have we have great opportunities to do that. Um, and I think we we the the fact that the pandemic causes some some short term fluctuations that will need careful management. I expect the Bank of England to be um, very careful in the way it responds. But actually if we ended up with a little bit of inflation and somewhat higher interest rates, that wouldn't be a bad thing. The, the trick with that is how do you make it only a little bit of inflation and only uh, somewhat higher interest rates? Uh, because yeah. if interest rates were jacked up very sharply, that would put a lot of people with large debts uh, very quickly into a negative position and you, to risk causing shock. So we need to be very careful, but the real issue here is how do we get the supply side of the economy working properly, to have a sustainable future, Um, And we've learned quite a lot during the the crisis about how much is imported around the world, uh, what sort of risks we're taking. uh, And we need to bear a lot of these longer term considerations in mind when we come to manage the economy out of where we are now.
0: There are certain sectors of the economy. I know you mentioned that, Paul, you mentioned tourism and then there is hospitality. Some of them have taken a massive hit um, during this pandemic. Do you see them bouncing back? I know you mentioned, you know, yes, it's it's all about thinking, you know, not necessarily thinking long term. But, I mean, do we see these recovering?
2: I think some of the changes will be permanent. Um, I think people will be travelling less. Um, And some of that will be changes yet to come. For example, at the moment, we still actually subsidise international air travel because we don't charge duty on uh, jet fuel. Okay, and that's got to change. And I think changes like that will mean that some of these sectors um, change. The economy is never about a static economy which just miraculously grows. The economy is always churning. Uh, industries are coming in, industries are going out. And that's or even the case when you don't have something like a pandemic come along and it's going, those sorts of changes are gonna be accelerated by the pandemic. Uh, so I don't think we should necessarily expect things uh, to remain the same. A lot of pubs were closing down before the pandemic. uh, and If anything, turning more into restaurants. I would expect that to continue um, uh, and perhaps to be accelerated. Uh, A lot of people were trying to cut down office space and thinking about how to use new technology to change their workplaces. I think that will accelerate. Um, And so I think what we'll see is quite a lot of structural change in the economy um, being pushed forward as a result of the pandemic. Uh, rather than just seeing things recover to the way they were before.
1: Well, in, in that sense, I, I think you're right in the sense that, you know, we have this notion that maybe travel abroad too much had, had consequences for the environment. But of course, after this year or so in which you travel much less, it might be that this change is, is now time to come, right? Um, because before, you know, it was so so much travel route. So, so I think you have a point there that, that it might be that there will be some changes in preferences of consumers that, that go to hospitality services and the travel industry that may be permanent.
0: Now, we like to close these podcasts by asking you both to come up with some recommendations for further reading on this topic. Anna, if I can start
1: with you. So if, if you see the, the less comments on things like on how big institutions are changing the forecasts about what they think are going to be with the economy, like with the cover, like for example the IMF, the IMF and the ICG just published update forecasts on their views, and, and it's interesting reading the sense that th- their decisions are related with you know how they think uh, the, the, the vaccine is going to affect uh, you know the countries and if they're able to really stop. Uh, using lockdowns to, to contain the, the advance of the virus, and in that sense, open up for economic activities. And, and at the same time, they, they have this in mind on the story I told you before, that when you, you push the economy down, it should should come back up, up fast. And they just trying to distribute the recovery across the last year, knowing how far you are from the potential and the for the different economies. So, so this is the kind of evidence that we would advise is looking at OECD and IMF reports on on what their views about the recovery. And actually, if if you're able to look at historical views, you can see how they've changed their minds. So you can see how economic forecasts now and then change their views, uh, because of, because of things have have happened that they they, they have. To. What about you,
0: Paul? Any recommendations for our listeners?
2: Well, uh, the the obvious source is really the Bank of England's inflation report and forecasts um, Mm -hmm. always contain a great deal more than is reported in the media. And so they're always worth uh, uh, looking through to to find some some hidden gems of analysis. Uh, And what you'll tend to find is they look much more at the possibilities of the outcomes, not just a single central case. The, The newspapers love to report whatever the central projection is, when actually what the, uh, the policymakers should be looking at, and the Bank of England does look at, is a variety of different possibilities, depending on how things shape up. So you can take it the whole of that, those possibilities into account, not just a single central case. Uh, and from the sort of academic sector, the National Institute of Economic and Social Research probably produces some of the most widely read forecasts of the UK and they have uh, one of the main models for forecasting the global economy um, as well. So they would be one of the, the main sources to, to look at. But the, I think the real point is, that anybody who says they think they know exactly what's going to happen um, is either not very clever or um, they're lying. Um, the whole point here is the, the uncertainty has gone up enormously. And that's what we should be focused on. And we need to think of policies which are robust to those uncertainties and the possibilities uh, and not just uh, dependent on a single possible projected outcome.
1: Paul, I want to strong support your just last statement, which is this issue that when looking at the future or forecast for the economy, we need to take into account that it's highly uncertainty. And more important, it's important that we try to measure this uncertainty. In that sense, it's good that he talk about uh, the monetary policy reports or that the Bank of England do, because in their reports, normally when they have the forecast for the economy, they do have bonds around the forecast where they try to assess the, the uncertainty. Actually, one of the issues they have done is that in the last year or so, they changed from predictions for output growth to predictions of the level of output. So it's easier to see this whole I'll be back? to the same level of output we have uh, before the the COVID uh, hits the economy or not. But at the same time, they all have the buns. And one thing they do really well when, when discussing the report, and actually when try to convey this information on the uncertainty on the forecast, is that they discuss the balance of risks which means that they try to discuss whether there are are reasons to think that the most likely path of the economy is being pushed out for risk, they'll push out the values down or upwards. So so I'm I'm sure they'll have discussions about inflation risks, for example, uh, possibly affecting forecasts.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much, Anna. Thank you, Paul. Uh, That's all for today's episode of this podcast. Thanks to my guest, Anna Galva, Professor of Economic Modelling and Forecasting here at Warwick Business School, and Paul Fisher, Visiting Professor at Warwick Business School and former member of the Bank of England's Monetary Policy Committee. Thank you for joining me. I'll be back again with another episode of the Core Insights podcast. For now, stay safe and goodbye.